We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you. Hello and welcome to the Making Queer History podcast, where we connect our queer history to our queer present. I'm Laura. And I'm Will. And today we're going to be talking about Joe Gustav and Nana and Gongan. I am so excited. This is definitely one of, uh, I, I say this a lot, but uh, this is one of the people who's definitely impacted me. I feel like there's so many different categories I put the people the people I learn about into. And uh, for, for Joel, I, I would definitely, definitely put him sort of into has affected how I view the world. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, we're, we're talking about him as a celebration for Black History Month because Black queer history is is just incredible to look into in the first place. And for patrons, it will be February, though for non-patrons, it will be March. But worst case is that you get to celebrate Black history for a little bit longer. Yeah. And that's awesome. Maybe not all of you are aware of this, but February is Black History Month in the US and Canada, while also being Queer History Month in the UK. Exactly. So if we get that intersection... We do. And, and we've had like a little bit more discussion throughout the years of like how we can talk about all three, because we, we really on the internet do have like a bit of a, a wider discussion, you know, and of sort of merging all these three history months and talking about Black queer history, which I'm really excited about, obviously, because that's sort of awesome for my project in particular, because we're always talking about queer history. Um, And I love the opportunity to talk about Black queer history. Uh, This month, we're releasing some articles that I did a whole bunch of research in and I'm super fucking proud of. So... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I always check love those, celebrating. Yeah, check those out when they come out. Mm-hmm. They're going to be a three-parter. It's going to be a three-parter. I used to do no three-parters, but now I've done two within like a vaguely closed time period. So it's exciting. It's very exciting. Either way, I'm just sort of excited to be here and to be celebrating this with y'all. We'll be getting this in March, which means it is our anniversary month. We will have officially been making queer history for five years. And that's incredible. It makes me so happy. Um, I've, I've just been really getting excited for it. Uh, you will have missed the exact anniversary day. March 4th is the exact anniversary day. And it's my birthday. So I get like a double little shot of happiness there. Um, yeah, it's just a really nice day to celebrate for me. And having done this for five years feels almost surreal. I'm so, so proud of having been able to do this. As you should be. And having done this and how far I've come. I'm working on some things in the background, but I, I for, for various reasons, was forced to look back at some of the articles I wrote in 2016. And I've grown a lot since then, which is... I'm As super proud be. of. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to say that if I hadn't done those five years, you know? I wouldn't be able to say, look back on my 2016 writing and be like, ooh, this isn't, this isn't ideal. Um, I wouldn't be able to do that if I hadn't gotten the opportunity to write so often and get paid for it for five years. That's incredible. Shout out to our patrons for yes. making this happen for five you are years. entirely and solely responsible for this podcast and this entire project and its continuation. Don't think we have anything in terms of news? No, nothing too super exciting in terms of news. Uh, well, actually, there are some really cool news stories, but what's happening is uh, the patrons are sort of going to be figuring some things out 
Um, so I can't really reveal what's going on because we just don't know that it's going to happen. Because if patrons are making decisions. Because if you're a patron, you get to make decisions. You do. And these are these are big, important decisions, which for non-patrons will be released on social media. Yeah, I don't think there's much news otherwise. But yeah, uh, just so you know, all patrons sort of get a little bit more input into the direction of this project. So if you want input, become a patron. There are also other cool rewards, but that's just one of them. And I like being able to talk to the patrons about that kind of stuff. One of many perks. Exactly. For our uh, book club. For our book club. Uh, March. For our book club. This month of February, we are reading uh, Fried Green Tomatoes on... At the Whistle Stop Cafe. At the Whistle Stop Cafe. Yeah, come on, get your shit together. Yeah. Which is... Sort of fitting with the black history. <laughs> sort of ish. Yeah. Yeah. It talks about racism a little bit. It talks about racism a little bit. And, you know, it's specifically a historical fiction novel. And it's a novel that I, I love specifically because it's like low key, not perfect. There are some not great things about it. And I, I'm excited to talk to patrons about that because patrons are really fucking smart. We've already had one discussion with them um, about Ace. We talked about Ace and um, our patrons are really fucking smart, y'all. Um, I'm intimidated. But it was really nice to talk to them about it. And I'm really excited to hear everyone's thoughts on this because it's an imperfect book. And that's sort of why I chose it. I I don't want anyone to go into the book club being like, oh, this is a list of books that uh, Laura co-signs every word of. That is not what this is. This is just a list of books that I think are connected to queer history in different ways. And I sort of just want to talk about with I am currently about 18% into uh, Fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah. And I'm enjoying it. There's a lot of... It took me a long time to get through it, too, mm-hmm. though. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably going to take me a long time to get through. Hopefully, I can get it through it before we discuss it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very interesting. It has a lot yeah. of... It starts a lot of interesting conversations. I agree. And I'm very excited to see how it's going to end those conversations. I'm, I'm going to be honest. It's going to end those conversations with a fizzle more than anything else. <laughs> Makes sense. And that's sort of what I like about the book. What I feel like... I feel like the book does a really great job of capturing the in-between moment of when people know things are wrong that the way things are aren't right but it's still before the things you're fighting for the change it's everyone sort of knowing that the way things are are untenable but not quite doing anything while doing small things it's not the massive change that's going to happen it's right before then. And I think it's really interesting to have a book sort of focused on that and focused on how people sort of manage with around each other in a situation that, again, is untenable. It's not, you wouldn't be able to maintain this for more than like five years. And you're sort of watching these people sort of tiptoe around each other and none of them sort of be on the same page but have to live next to each other anyways. And I just think that's really interesting. Having grown up in a small town... I, I'm very used to sort of the, you're stuck with these people you might not agree with on everything, and you don't like them, but you sort of have to be around them, and sort of how you navigate that as a marginalized identity. And I just think it's a really interesting look at that. Very excited to keep diving into it. And maybe I'm just reading too far into it. That being said, it is a classic, so... Um, the book we're going to be reading next month, though, is um, A Quick and Easy Guide to Queer and Trans Identities. I love 
I love that book so snails. much. There's gonna be snails. Snails. <laughs> There's going to be snails. So uh, definitely pick this book up. Um, I think everyone in our audience will know most of the information within these books. I just sort of want to have the discussion of like how, what and how things are being taught in a beginner level. I think most of the people in our audience are, are intermediate in the discussions of queer history. We're in an intermediate level. Um, where you like, you enter, you enter a podcast knowing that trans people exist. Yeah. And you, you how know. trans people exist. Exactly. You, you, you've gotten to that point. But we're, I like the idea of sort of looking back for a minute and being like, Huh. What is what is what are how are people being taught this and it's and how will that affect and it's always useful to read them so you can one pass on the knowledge mm-hmm. and be like these are the ways that I can explain these identities or these concepts in a basic way and, yeah and but also to know what people coming into your communities what knowledge they already have yeah one hundred percent one hundred percent and I also um I'm also going to in the next couple months be taking slash watching some queer history classes myself. And a lot of that is going to be based around me sort of learning how these things are taught rather than, you know, because I, not to brag, I know a little bit about queer history, but I, I like the idea of knowing how these things are taught to people because, you know, I'm hired by people in, in different areas to teach these things. So I, I would like to know how it's usually taught and how I want to lean in and also lean out of the, sort of those usual methods. I know. It's going to be exciting. I'm excited. I like knowing these kind of things. It's it's a very useful conversation to have, I think. Mm-hmm. And also another thing that we did this month, specifically that uh, Laura did this month, Valentine's Designs. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was just for fun because I had some extra spare time and I was like, I want to create something neat. And I designed a couple of things for our shop. I definitely think you should check it out. I think they're fucking adorable. Um, it's mainly three different designs sort of based around two are based around uh love letters sent between queer people and one of them just sort of based around one of my favorite pieces of queer writing in general so i would love for you to check them out uh i'm really proud of the work i did on them yeah um i like them i like them they're lot. they're really cute i love the love letters most so much i i want them really badly mm-hmm. But go to our... And I continue to not get you any of our products. You refuse to. I have not gotten you the calendar, and you, I'm not getting you the calendar. You're like, hey, we'd lose money that way. And yeah, I'm like... we'd lose money. Yes. But what if I got a thing? What if you got a thing? That is such, such a good point. Thank you. Yeah. Either way, go to our website, www.makingqueerhistory.com. Find the link to our store and go check out the new designs. Yeah, I'm, I'm again, super proud of them. Or become a patron and you can get those designs sent to you on a lot of different kind of ways. What level of patron you become. I'm, yeah, I, I just really love designing these things. And also a little patron perk uh, our patrons got to see the designs early and also they got to see sort of the steps of me creating the designs because i was just i did parts of it on on discord i was just like oh i saw this design and i thought it was neat so i'm gonna do this and this and this and they're like neat that's what you get when you're part of the discord chat exactly. folks i'm using it as um as 14 year old me used to use um facebook i love status that. updates i love that <laughs> Oh my god. I'm getting flashbacks. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah. Facebook was a thing. Yeah, and like, Facebook was cool. No, it wasn't. Um, it was cool to be on, but yeah. it was never cool, if that makes sense. That's like, fair. it was never the essence of cool, but people expected and 
found it cool to be on it. I lied about my age to be on so Facebook. So did I. Nice. I. I put my birthday as my mom's birthday because my mom signed me up for th- Facebook. Interesting. And everyone used to celebrate my mom's birthday by coming onto my page and being like, happy birthday, Laura. And I'm like, is it on my birthday? Thank you, though. And I would have to every month to do, or every uh, year in February, be like, everyone, hi. Um, turns out, not my birthday. <laughs> And uh, my friends, my close friends would always be like really superior as well. They'd be like, oh, yeah, I knew this. So weird that y'all didn't. And I'm like, all that's, right. That's hilarious. They were, they very much took advantage of that. That's, I thought it was funny. That's really funny. Um, yeah, and they'd no. be like, on my actual birthday, they'd be like, yeah, Laura's actual birthday. Happy birthday, Laura. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. That's some shade. That's some it shade. Was, it was very shady. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think that's all we have in terms of news. Let's talk about Joel Gustav and Nana and Gong Gang. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. He usually, uh, as far as I can tell, only went by Joel Nana, or that's mm-hmm. sort of like what he was called colloquially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's probably what I'm going to call him throughout this. But he was born in Cameroon in 1982. Mm-hmm. And while we don't really know a lot about uh, his childhood or his growing up, we know a lot about what he became. And what he became was um, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> pretty neato. He was a really engaged activist, specifically in African activism. And when we say African, we do mean African. We don't mean Cameroonian and, and are just like... Calling it Africa. Calling it Africa. He was, one of his big beliefs was pan-Africanism, which is the belief that there is a connection and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to butcher it, so I'm going to say it in a very basic way, but that, you know, all of Africa is connected and to enter discussions about Africa in that way. Mm-hmm. He wanted there to be, um, other descriptions I've seen of it, is that he wanted to be a political union of indigenous peoples of Africa. Which is an incredible, incredible discussion to be having. And he inherently had a lot of belief in Africa and, and like, Africa as a whole, mm-hmm. and the African people, mm-hmm. uh, because he uh, wanted all of uh, colonialists to get the fuck out of there. Which, <laughs> valid. Can't argue. No. But he also, uh, not only was uh, the belief, his belief in Pan-Africanism a big part of his, his political I, beliefs, but also a big part of his like personal beliefs and personal life. And you can see it in how he traveled all over Africa, uh, although he mostly lived in, in Nigeria, Senegal, South Africa, and, and also in Cameroon, where he was originally from. He got his master's in international human rights law from the University of the Western Cape, mm-hmm. and he... Uh, genuinely, like, really smart. He <laughs> spoke... He was just, like, a really smart fucking guy. He spoke four languages at mm-hmm. least, mm-hmm. which were English, French, Banso, and Madumba. Mm-hmm. And he was also studying both German and Estonian. Mm-hmm. So, um... That's fucking pretty, incredible. That's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> that's pretty neat. And then using all this knowledge that he had, he he just worked as an activist for his entire life. He um, was very focused on HIV awareness mm-hmm. and queer rights. Mm-hmm. And he worked to make Africa an easier place to live as a queer person. One hundred percent, and obviously there's a big intersection there. Um, one of the his one of the things he was most well known for was in his activism, as there were I'm I'm trying to remember what they were called. Oh, um, the ya- Yaounde Yaounde Eleven, mm-hmm. and that was eleven men who were sort of outed as gay and arrested for it. It was it took place. It was a bar raid. Yeah, yeah. in in the Cameroonian um 
capital mm-hmm. in 2005. Yeah. And so they were arrested and they were persecuted and imprisoned for mm-hmm. being for being gay men mm-hmm. at a bar. And and we have had similar things in Canadian in, history. Yeah, in Canadian history as well. It's a very common thing to see take place mm-hmm. in queer history because bars become such a gathering point for queer people. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then the news broke about this and so these these 11 men were obviously even more persecuted mm-hmm. because now suddenly they were outed. Mm-hmm. And Joel really worked hard to get this publicized, to raise awareness, mm-hmm. to to bring global attention to the situation because he, he believed that global attention would sort of help shame the people who had done the bad things to mm-hmm. stop doing the fucking bad things. And he was right. He, it worked. In the end, the, the United Nations con- condemned the act of imprisoning these men mm-hmm. and actually condemned the, the act of imprisonment of of people based on sexuality sexuality as a whole which is a huge Mm -hmm. obviously and so he succeeded in his his um appeasing to the global state the global un (laughs) yeah to the un um well he believed that global attention could definitely be a tool for activism he he didn't believe that's where progress should be relied on or lied because he was of the belief and this is where the thing that you know i found really changed how i how i view discussions of of black history um he believed that while colonialism 100% set up homophobia to be the way it is in africa right now the contemporary people who are pushing forward homophobia are still fucking accountable. And I think that's a huge part of his, like, faith in African peoples was his holding them accountable. He's like, yeah, I know you can be fucking better than this. Why are you doing this? And I think that, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and dive into something that when I was reading this, it really, really pushed me because in the discussions of queer history, I think it's so fucking important to constantly acknowledge how colonialism plays a role in discussing African queer history. Because unless you're going pre-colonial, which, awesome, great thing to look at, the discussion of colonialism is there. And any queer person who has lived in Africa will have felt the ripples of colonialism. And that 100% deserves to be recognized. And whether that's, like, political or social or socioeconomic, like, it still remains. Yeah, it still remains. And he really, you know, while that's a good thing to say, and it's 100% a good thing to say, that doesn't... He really reminded me that that doesn't remove accountability of the real people who are doing real things right the fuck now. Mm -hmm. It can definitely provide an explanation and context. And without that explanation and context, I don't think you can have the discussion. But I think there's like a little bit of white saviorism in the discussions that the queer history community has around Africa, where it's like, we created the problem, so it's our job to fix it. Like, no, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. White people created the problem 100%, but there are people who are still maintaining it in Africa, and it is Africa's job to fix it, unfortunately, because only Africans know how. Yes. Like, we fucked it up so badly, us going in and taking control, we're just gonna fuck it up again. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just another form of colonialism, Mm -hmm. is to just go in and be like, here's our beliefs, everyone shut the fuck up and do what we say. It's not gonna be helpful. And to sort of take away the power in the people who are maintaining the homophobia and maintaining the queerphobia is, is... almost infantilizing because they're making choices like as much as they have been shaped by colonialism they're still individual people making choices that are hurting queer people in africa and i i don't think we should ever 
you know, sort of lean out <laughs> too hard of, you know, while I don't think we should re be reactionary and be like, just because colonialism started homophobia in how it exists in Africa now, that doesn't mean the discussion should be, how is colonialism going to fix it? That's mm -hmm. not what the discussion should be. The discussion should be, how do we support and raise up the voices of African people who, African queer people who are in the moment existing there, doing incredible activism, but not getting the support they need. Mm -hmm. And Joel had a quote about this saying, mm -hmm. only Africans can speak for Africa. And which, that's an incredible quote. And yeah. Uh, I, I, I can definitely see if someone's like listening to me say this and being like, yeah, this is basic. I, I understood this. But I think being sort of in the insular community of queer history discussions, and I'm going to go ahead and say it, being in the white-dominated discussions of queer history, um, it's a discussion that fell by the wayside for me. Mm -hmm. It was a discussion that, in the echo chamber, was not being had. And I'm not going to criticize any particular project, because, you know, and I'm not going to, I'm only going to criticize making queer history itself. You know, but 100%, there's a culture there of almost disempowering the, the voices of African people in discussions of queer history in Africa. And I think that's really sad. And that's, it has really negative effects in how people talk about African queer history. And it's unfortunate. And I think it's... We can talk about another thing as well, which mm -hmm. is that uh, even with Black History Month, mm -hmm. a lot of the things that we find are from the U.S. 100%. And a lot of the things we talk about are specifically U.S.-centric. Mm -hmm. And talking about the experiences of people in the diaspora is obviously vital. Mm -hmm. But but when we're talking about like a pan-African experience, we have to talk about Africa. Africa. We yeah. have to talk about Africa. And to talk about Black history, I feel like we have to talk about Africa. Mm -hmm. And I think this is especially true as... Because I think it's less true if you specifically say, in Black history discussions in America, they should talk more about Africa. I don't think that's 100% wrong, but I also don't think it's 100% right. Because there's absolute worth and value in talking about queer Black history in America solely. And there's absolute value in talking about queer Black history in Canada solely, but these celebrations have really expanded beyond a na national celebration they have. Because, unfortunately, America rules so much of the uh, online discussions. When Black History Month comes, more than more than Americans are celebrating it. Mm -hmm. More it's, than Canadians are celebrating it's it. It's like when I was still living in Norway mm -hmm. and Black History Month rolled around, I would only celebrate U.S. Black history, which yeah. really didn't make a lot of sense. Exactly. And like, while it makes sense that, you know, if if we take it away from the globalization that has happened, it makes sense. But the globalization has happened. Mm -hmm. We're having these global community discussions, but we're still centering America for some reason. Like, we're having these global community discussions about Black history, but why are we still centering fucking America? Mm -hmm. Because there shouldn't be a center, you know? There are Black people all over the diaspora, and there are Black people within Africa. And that queer history is still incredibly important and valuable to discuss. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know. It's I'm obviously shouldn't be the leading voice in this. I am a white person, if you didn't know, because you're listening to this podcast, so you don't see me. I am but also white. Two, uh, two, white people. two white people. Two white people. So we shouldn't be leading these discussions. But I, I do think think that using our privilege, because I know a significant portion of our audience is filled with white people, we can push for 
maybe looking at history that isn't the history that is the easiest to look at. And and look for history that you don't already know the basics of and look at history and look at history that challenges you. Um, because I think, at least in queer communities, like queer history communities, there's a tendency to lean into history that is unchallenging. Mm-hmm. That doesn't challenge your pre-held beliefs. And and we see this a lot in people using queer history to justify whatever beliefs they have. Um, TERFs do it. People who are against asexual people existing do it. And I think that's really minimizing of queer history. I think queer history can do an amazing things in challenging people and challenging your preconceived notions, just like Joel did, because <laughs> he challenged my preconceived notions of how to talk about Black history and how to talk in general about homophobia in Africa. Because it's a discussion that needs to be had and global attention deserves to be put on it. But that doesn't mean global attention is the solution. Mm-hmm. It just means it's a tool that the queer Africans who are working right now should be able to use. Like we should be there as more or less a tool for black queer activists to use to achieve their goals because they know what is needed for Africa better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And like when I'm having this discussion, I, I hope I probably should have started this entire discussion with this, but I'm having this discussion to white people. I'm not having this discussion at any black people in our audience. And you know what? I'm not having this discussion at just white people. I'm having it this discussion to non-black people. That That's who I'm talking to. I'm talking to non-black people. Our allyship should not be reliant on what is unchallenging. Our allyship should constantly be challenged. And that's how, it, that's how you make good allyship for one. And that's, you know... I think I think a lot of allies, and I've seen this a little bit lately, especially with the discussions of allyship and the failures of allyship um, publicly. I think allies think of themselves as bigger than they are. Mm. Allies, we're not that fucking big of a deal. Like, we're there to be a tool. We're there to be a help. That's it. That's our entire fucking job. That's what it literally fucking means. We're yep. there to, like, we're there to help. Mm-hmm. We're not there to take over the conversation. We're not there to even start the conversation. These conversations have been going on before us. And, and we just need to help the people who are having them uplift it. That's it. That's it. Stop trying to, like, be the person to save people. You're not going to be that person. And that's fine. You're not supposed to be. You can't... You can't solve racism. White people Ooh. can't solve racism. White people need to listen. Like, if if you put every woke white person in a room, we couldn't solve fucking racism. I'm sorry, we couldn't. What we need to be doing is the hard, difficult work of being a tool to help other people, to help the people who are know what the fuck they're talking about, who have experience, who have expertise. We need to be those people. We don't need to be the leaders of the conversation. Why the fuck would why the fuck would they need us to be the leaders of the conversation? Ah, uh, I'm sorry. I've just seen some bad allyship lately and I, I don't want to be, you know, too too specific or anything, but I think uh, and I'm I'm going to say it again, especially in the queer history community. This is something that our project participated in as well. I think especially in the early years. Especially especially in 2016 because one of the one of the articles I reread was about Langston Hughes one of my favorite poets of all time and it was an article for Black History Month and I was reading it again in response to reading or starting reading a book about Langston either way I, I reread the article and I was like huh I really thought that I was the leader of this discussion didn't I 
I really thought I was the first person having this discussion, wasn't I? And especially, and I think it applied to other articles I did as well. I think I was the first one to talk about it. I wasn't. But I think especially with white queer people talking about queer history, the rush to be the first one to talk about something and the rush to sort of put a new take on things can be harmful. It can really do shitty things and it can make... But I think, you know, the rush to be right, especially if you're white, not to rhyme, but like, <laughs> here, the rush to be right instead of the rush to be helpful, mm -hmm. the rush to be seen as right, the rush to be seen as the most woke white person of all, all time, it makes you ignore black voices. Mm -hmm. It does. And I say that from experience. I don't say that from, you know... A I've powerful seen. place of, I've seen others fail, though I have. Others were also myself. Mm -hmm. And I just I just think that's an important conversation. That's it. And it's a, a conversation that needs to be happening between white people. This shouldn't be a conversation that we're forcing the black activists who are right now trying to do some more important shit to have. Like, it's, it's between us. We shouldn't be forcing black activists to keep tabs on white allies. Anyways. They got more important stuff. They got they more got fucking important things to do right now. Mm-hmm. And white people gotta, we gotta keep each other in check. Yeah, it is a part of it. Yep, that's what, that's a part of allyship. Mm -hmm. huh. And your motivation for that should be love. It shouldn't be, I want to be the most woke person. Mm -hmm. I want to call everyone out, fuck these people. I'm the most woke person who's ever existed, and I'm so excited to call everyone out about it. You're... If your motivation isn't genuine love, you're going to fail. It's always so like disconcerting, if that's mm. the right word, to see white people be really antagonistic mm, yes. about other white people's racism. Yes. I'm like, I understand why you're being antagonistic. And I understand why you're doing this. Mm -hmm. But this isn't going to help. This isn't going to help. And like, we're the people who can have the non-antagonistic conversations. Exactly. Safely. Exactly. We can... We're not hurting our souls by having these conversations well because mm -hmm. um one thing that i like to i like to say is when i'm talking to people why i don't talk to anti-queer homophobes or like anti-queer anything i don't talk to them anymore and sometimes people especially straight people especially allies will be like why don't you know that the only way to get through to them is education and i'm like to have an honest discussion, like a genuine, vulnerable discussion with someone, I need to, in my head, be able to consider the op the possibility that they know more than me, that they might have information that I don't have. And to do that when it's my identity, when it's me, when it's me that's the question, when it's my right to exist as a person, it breaks you apart. It breaks you apart piece by piece. It does I've had the discussion so many times and there are so many parts of me that are lost that I can never have back because I've had those discussions. And I can only imagine what that must be for other marginalized people. And I don't want to like put my experience on anyone else, but I do know that as a white person, it does not hurt in the way it would for a black person to hear the fucking racist shit that other people say. It hurts, but it doesn't break a piece of me. I don't have to compromise who I am as a human to have those conversations. So those are the conversations I need to be having. Because mm -hmm. it is very literally dangerous to be forcing black people to have them, like, to compromise themselves like that. So white people need to be talking to white people. I mean, like, hey, what the fuck? But and then you should be leading them to, to black people. Yeah. And leading them to black voices who will not have to put themselves 
into dangerous positions to get them there. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't, you know, we should be, and it's, it's, it's like, it's such a simple thing. It's a thing that I was told a thousand, a thousand times when the first Black Lives Matter protests were happening. It's you need to empower the voices of Black people. And you hear it over and over again. And I think people forget what it means. I really, I really genuinely think people forget what it means because I've heard it so often. But for me, a lot of the time, it means being the person to lead people to the Black voices that need to be heard. Because you, that's your, that's your only job. It's not your job to have the, the amazing, incredible things to say about Black rights. Black people are already fucking doing it. Yep. They're, it's, 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 they, they've got this. They are doing it so well. It's your job to make sure they're, words are heard that's it and it's that difficult and it's that easy yeah but yeah this was just a long call out for (laughs) um, all of our non-black uh you know listeners and and one of one of the voices that you could lead people to is is joel Joel. yeah incredible voice he did so many so many things in his life he started a lot of different organizations Mm -hmm. he i think he started out doing an internship for Mm -hmm. a a media organization and a news website called behind the mask Mm -hmm. i believe you can still read some of his articles up there Mm -hmm. the organization is still running Mm -hmm. uh he founded at least Two, yeah, he found at least two organizations. One of them uh, is one called Amsher, African Men for Sexual Health and Rights. Uh, he was the founder and the executive director. Uh, he was also a part of a thing called Paradev, which is Partners for Rights and Development. And here he was the chief exec. Officer, which was a, a consulting firm on human rights and development. And it was, again, like to, to build the basis of Africans giving advice to, to African people. Yeah. And then he also was a part of something called. And uh, for World's AIDS Day, which is December first, he engaged in a letter in a letter writing campaign. So he had a very wide variety of activism. He had a wide variety of organizations, and he's an incredible, incredible person to look into. He really is. He was also not only was he a really good activist, he was also a really good person. Yes, yes. Uh, I actually have some quotes about this uh, from from different people who had met him throughout his life. Um, Kasha Nabagesara said. I met Joel in 2006 in Joburg when he was going to take up my place at Behind the Mask as an intern at the end of my time. Since then, we have been together in many places advocating the African Commission, UN, and recently the European Parliament in December 2014. He was a very intelligent and funny person. I liked the way he packed for trips, lots of bags, one for each accessory. I will surely miss him, and the world has lost a great advocate, friend, husband, and father. Rest in power, dear brother and comrade. He was a well-loved man, and he, as mentioned there, had a child he looked after. It was his niece, and he took care of Even when he was traveling all over, he always came back to his niece. And then in 2015, he died from an illness, and we lost an incredible activist. Yeah. Um, another quote. Uh, Dennis, a human rights activist from Uganda, said, It had never occurred to me that so much energy, so much power, so much hunger, and so much, and so much zeal to make the world better would suddenly be taken from us. Joel was that and more. He was an activist, a colleague, a friend, a brother. He is already dearly missed. Rest in power, my dear friend. I don't think we can say anything better than that. No. 
You can also go listen to those voices. You can also go listen to those voices. Those are also great voices to listen into. And I will definitely encourage y'all to look more into Joel and like look into the things he said. Because they're important things to hear. I found them very, very enlightening. So, yeah. With that, we'll move into our next section, which is Wrecking Queers, where... We recommend you queer stuff and you wreck us. We have both a recommendation and y'all wrecking us. So I'm excited. How are we being wrecked? I'm pulling up the email right now. Uh, We got this email a while back, but I haven't had the chance to respond to it. Simply, simply because I've been dying. (laughs) I haven't been dying, but I've not been great. So we got this email. We got an email from an American teen using they, them pronouns. They haven't given me permission. I haven't emailed back yet. I'm going to email back soon. I just wanted to read it on the podcast because I just love this email. It makes me so happy. And when I got it, I just like, it really, I really needed to get it at that time. And it was just so nice. Anyways, so I'm going to read the email they, they sent me. I started listening to the podcast when I was alone at work on cold winter nights. I work at a Christmas tree farm. Anyway, I found your project through a post saying how important it is for young queers to learn their history. You fulfilled so much of that goal for me. Listening to the podcast warmed my heart amid the snow and freezing rain outside. After a month of listening to as many podcast episodes as possible, I started reading a couple of articles and decided to become a patron. Thank you! We love you! I'm so excited to see what y'all do next, since I've listened to all the rebooted podcast episodes. Also, I'm the queerest in my family, and I've gotten to the chance to share the stories of queer historical figures with my family. Bless. They especially enjoyed my retelling of Georgie Faludi's many exploits. Faludi is one of my favorites simply because he had a wild life and loved his country in the best way possible. Best wishes of health and happiness. Bless. Right? Also, 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 pause. Um... A Christmas tree right? farm? That's so magical. I got it. I got it on New Year's. And just like the picture, I was like broken. And that's why I've taken so long to respond to it. Because I've just been like looking back at it and be like, and just like every time someone tells me they listen to the podcast, I'm fucking floored. I'm like, I just think that I do this alone and no one ever listens to us. Um, That is so fucking sweet. Right? Also, also. The true joy of being able to retell queer history to your family, though. 100%. So relatable. Me chatting to my mom, my mom mentioning someone, me going, oh, did you know that actually this person did the exact same thing and they were gay? <laughs> and I'm being like, um. And that's how it should be, you know? We're always here for you to take the stories we tell you and tell them to your families. Because that's so cool. It's so cool. It's such a oh, fun, so, so fun happy. ride. It is. It is. Yeah. Anyways, that- thank you so much for the email. Thank you so much for the email. They're so sweet. They are so, they are. so sweet. I'm, Anyways, thank you so much for the email, though. Like, thank genuinely, so that's really sweet. We love you. But we love you and your Christmas tree farm. And we're so glad we could warm you up. Ah, I'm gonna scream. Anyways, so thank you for the email. Um, if anyone else wants to send us emails, and if you want to like counteract the the sweetness of that by like dragging us for something we said wrong, feel free to. We're at queerhistorypatreon.gmail.com. You can also email us if you have questions. If oh, you're yeah. like, hey, you have to mention this, can you talk more about it? Yeah, we would be happy to. We just genuinely love getting feedback and talking to y'all and talking to you. Y'all like, are so cool, so cool. I'm intimidated, so sometimes. smart a lot of the time. Um. Yeah. Yeah. We're delighted. Yes. We're absolutely delighted. So uh, now it's time for me to recommend something. And I said I was going to recommend Philosophy Tube, which I still do. Watch Philosophy Tube. Amazing. Trans woman. 
fucking iconic. I, I, love, I her. love her so much. Anyways, but I'm actually going to recommend something else this month. So we love you, Philosophy 2. If you're listening, I don't think Philosophy 2 is listening. <laughs> but we're so happy for you. Um, but what I'm actually going to recommend this month is Noir, Noir Development or Association. Um, which is a grassroots program working to empower uh, Noir people and help recover all that has been taken or lost. Um, I'm the most recent article I wrote about involved a lot of research into the Noir people, and you know, it really, it really hit me. It really hit me right in the fucking chest. And I'm really glad to be able to share this one resource. I think you should definitely donate if you, if you can, please donate to this organization, especially in celebration of Black History Month. They're doing incredible things in. Uh, South Sudan. Uh, uh, one of the things that they're doing is working to reduce gen- or stop gender-based violence in-, in that area. Yeah, just check them out. I think they're fantastic. Um, there's going to be a link uh, in the description of this podcast. There's also a link in the most recent article. I just, you know, these are the voices that we need to be listening to. And yeah. I think that, yeah, I think this is a great thing to look into. Um, I would definitely suggest it as a donation if you have any money around Black History Month and if you want to celebrate Black History Month. I think this is a great place to donate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's all. All right. Uh, remember to check out our website at www.makingqueerhistory.com. You can find our, our social medias there. We have a Twitter, a Pinterest, a Patreon, a Instagram, a Tumblr. Uh, that's uh, YouTube. We have a YouTube. You should check out our YouTube channel. Dean has been putting up amazing videos, one a month. So we also have a Facebook. We also have a Facebook. I forget about our Facebook, but there's a cool monthly roundups that Dean is doing there. It's fantastic. Um, I also want to go ahead and drop the link for our Patreon. If you want to become a Patreon, it's www.patreon.com slash queer history. We really killed it on getting that URL. We did. We did. We killed it. So thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we're really glad you're here and support black creators and, mm-hmm. and black voices mm-hmm. and just, just 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 be a good ally. Just be a good ally. Ally is a verb, not a noun. Noun. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good note to end on. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, history is queerer than you think. We have always existed, and we are still here. Stories of those slumbered, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We're living, we breathe, and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you think. Yes, we will continue. Yes, we will improve. Making Step we're taking is history in the making. We hold our own future, we learn from the past. They've tried to remove our legacy, but we are built to last. So listen to the stories. Cause they'll help us grow From Sappho to Frida Kahlo There's always more to know History is queerer than you think Yes, we will continue Yes
day tomorrow we have been and will always be absolutely revolutionary every single day we live we are part of the legacy we are making queer history yes we will continue what we